Live from the WILK studios in Pittston, Pennsylvania. Welcome to Sharing Recovery, first-hand stories of addiction and recovery. Recovery is possible. Sharing Recovery is sponsored by Clearbrook Treatment Center, Archstone Recovery, and Attorney Dave Akins. We welcome your calls with questions or comments. Call 570-883-0098 or 1-800-437-0098. Here are your hosts, Suzanne Kelly and Jack Kropp. And hello, everyone, and, and thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Welcome to Sharing Recovery. I'm Suzanne Kelly, and I'm joined by co-host Jack Krop. Jack recently celebrated 19 years of recovery, and um, he is a phenomenal co-host. He's a phenomenal chief inspirational officer. And uh, today, Jack's going to be our guest. Um, Jack has a remarkable story. Uh, sharing Recovery, for those just maybe tuning in for the first time, is about hope. And it's about help. It's about healing. Um, we believe that people are much, much more than their addiction. Um, anyone who is in recovery knows that every single day you need to make that decision to wake up and to not use. And for that, we applaud you, we commend you, and uh, we think what you're doing is, is fabulous work because it's not easy. So over the last several weeks, we've had all kinds of guests here and, and they each brought to the table their unique story and, and some stories that actually paralleled. Um, everyone was an inspiration and everyone really had us in awe. And Jack asked for this last show of 2017 that he have the opportunity to share his story. Now, throughout our last several months, Jack has kind of peppered some very interesting facts about his life and uh, his recovery journey. But today we're gonna concentrate more um, on where he was, uh, his experiences, his uh, trips to, uh, his experiences and trips to uh, being incarcerated twice where he is today and what he plans on doing in 2018 and it's really really good stuff so jack i have the uh, great honor to be welcoming you hello oh hello oh hello <laughs> so happy to be here today <laughs> you're a little bit nervous well I, it's easier when i'm interviewing somebody else than being the one interviewed so yeah Okay, so, okay, we're going to start here. Um, you have, have quite an interesting story. Many times you've talked about uh, you had your first drink when you were eight years old because you're an Irish Catholic family and that's what you did. And honestly, you know, we all kind of grew up in that, in that environment where it was the norm. But um, your story is much, much more than that. So why don't you kind of take us back to uh, what your life was when you started using and what you were doing in your life. You were a very, very successful person, very successful businessman. No, I wasn't. Uh, when oh, I started okay. using, I was eight years old. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, at, at that point, I, I started to drink when I was eight years old. Okay, constantly, really? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, the right. alcohol was in our house. My, my mother drank on a daily basis. Her brothers and sisters did. We, I had an uncle that used to stop by our house all the time. So there was always alcohol in the house. My father didn't drink a drop, uh, and I believe that he was a dry drunk. He just, he didn't know how to deal with my mother, who, who drank every day, so he just stopped drinking. It, uh, so I, I started to drink at an early age, yes. All right, it was the norm. It was perfectly normal. Okay. It was the way I was raised, and when you referred to someone as an alcoholic in our family, that, that didn't mean they were a bad person. That was just, it just was, so... I knew from, I knew 
a long time ago that I was an alcoholic. But I didn't think there was anything wrong with that. That was just the way it was going to be for the rest of my life. So I remember distinctly by the time I got to college, I went to the University of Maryland, and, and I remember my parents driving away that first day. And my thought wasn't I was going to miss them or I wonder how this will work out. My thought was now there's nobody to control my drinking. Now I don't have to worry about when I start drinking or when I stop drinking during the day or if I'm only drinking on weekends. I thought this is going to be all right, that uh, I can drink anytime I want now. It's like one big party. You're going away to school and it's That's, a big party. And I, the University of Maryland at that time was overpopulated and there was a housing shortage. As a result, I ended up living in a fraternity house, even though I wasn't a member of the fraternity, they had rooms they rented out. So I started out in a fraternity house. And uh, if you ever saw that movie, uh, I don't remember the name of it now. What was the name of it? Animal House. Animal House. That, that was the house I lived in. I mean, it was crazy. And that's where life started to turn the wrong direction for me is at the University of Maryland. Up to that point, yeah, I drank. I got in a little trouble here and there, but just like all the other kids I was in high school with. But the University of Maryland is when life turned in, in a different direction. And, and I, uh, I started to do things I shouldn't have been doing way beyond drinking. And I don't mean drugs even. I, I, I started to have this desire to want more. And, and I was going to do anything I could to get more. What do you mean by more? More what? More anything? More anything. You, you, want, you want a fancier watch? You want a nicer car? You want money to go out all the time? You just want more of anything you can. Addiction is addiction. And, and, and it can be anything. More is more. So. Okay. So more is more. You're at school. I guess it's... And then at some point, my... My father realized I'd been there a couple of years and really hadn't done anything other than drink. And uh, my father and I had a conversation one day. And he thought it would be a good idea if I'd come back to Wyoming Valley because uh, my mother was now a problem and he couldn't handle her alone. And he wanted me to come back and, and support that. And he thought it'd be better if I'd go to King's College and, and finish or at least try to get some kind of education at King's College. And that didn't work out. I mean, obviously, I, I didn't stay there very long. My drinking escalated. So my father uh, my father bought a business. He just handed me the keys one day and said, here, this is yours. What kind of business? It was an equ a small equipment business that supported landscapers and, and, and such. And he just, you know, here I am. I'm 20 years old. And he hands me the keys and says, good luck with your business. It's, I did not have the ability to manage that. And to this day, I don't have the ability to manage money. I mean, I'm, I'm a terrible person when it comes to managing funds. And that's been, through, that's been true throughout my life. So, uh, And he walked away and said, there you go, good luck. And that, that turned into a disaster. I was drunk every day. I was doing some cocaine at the time. And, and every penny that came in that business I thought was mine. And I could just take that money and, and support this lifestyle that I wanted to live. I wanted to live this lifestyle of uh, uh, the money was endless and I could do what I want. And when I say do what I want, it was, you know, drinking and partying and, and, and just being crazy. Uh, 
Did you have employees working yeah, with you? We always had employees. At, at, when I worked for my at that store, there was only two or three of us at a time. I mean, it wasn't a big deal. Okay. So that that went under. I mean, that my mother died in 1983, I think, and uh, so that business failed. Uh, it was it was a failure from the day we started. That was a, we had, we walked into a failure because I was there. And in 1983, my mother died. I think in 1984, uh, I went to work. Uh, I went to we closed that business up, and I went to work for a local landscaping company. Uh, and I had worked in the landscaping business in high school and college. And then in 1984, I went to work for a local company. And I worked for that company until, uh, I guess, 1986, maybe. And by that, in 1985, I got married. And uh, I married a lovely woman, and her father was a, a wonderful man. And, and my father-in-law said to me at one point, uh, why, uh, why are you working for somebody else? And I said, well, what else would I do? And he said, have your own landscaping company. So my father-in-law then uh, funded me to start a landscaping company, and you know, that's that's where we were. That was 1986, and I thought everything was going to be, you know, peaches and cream for a long time. And now, at this time, Jack, you were still drinking. Still drinking. You were drinking. Oh, I never day. stopped drinking. You never stopped drinking. Uh, doing some drugs, maybe. Um, well, about that time, after I got married, that stopped. I just had no interest in it. I, I didn't even understand why people did drugs because I had no effect from them. I mean, so I, but I drank every day, of course. So how much? Well, uh, lots, L lot more than, you know, it was nothing for me to drink two or three quarts of, of alcohol a day. Um, you know, I like to joke that in the winter I drank Myers rum and in the summer I drank vodka. So depending on the season, I was drinking two or three bottles of, of one of those a day and, in addition to that, you know, I, I might have 10 or 12 beers a day. and I just, I can consume a large volume of alcohol. How were you able to function? Um, I didn't think it was a problem. I mean, I, I got up and went to work every day and, and um, did what I had to do. I mean, that's just, again, I saw that my whole life. I mean, I saw people in my family, in my mother's family, drink all day long while they were at work. Okay. You know, I always think about my Uncle Jim. He he delivered furniture for a, a local insur uh, furniture company, United Furniture, I think it was called. And, you know, so he had a truck and a route. And he would stop at my mother's house every day at 10 o'clock in the morning and have a shot and a beer. So why wouldn't I think that you, you could go to work after you'd been drinking? So... And that's what it is. You know, in 1986, we started uh, that landscaping company, and we started to build from there. And, and you know, the bigger they, that company got, the more I drank, and, and the the more grandiose I became. And, and I real, you know, looking backwards, I mean, I was a total jerk. And, and there are, I'm sure there are people out there listening that are nodding their heads right now. I mean, I, I was... I wasn't a nice guy. I just, I was so full of myself and I was full, so full of, of grandiosity and being something I wasn't. That, uh, but I didn't know that. And I had no way of knowing then and 
that alcohol had anything to do with any of this. I didn't, I could not make a correlation between alcohol and the way I lived my life. So that's, uh, that's the way it went. And uh, between 1986 and 1998, we grew this company, we got bigger, we, we went from just cutting grass to doing what's called landscape construction or landscape installation, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I, I'm, if, if there's anything I am in this world, I might be a pretty good salesman. I, um, I was able to get involved with a, a rather large company that 1996 or seven, they gave us our first job. And, and that changed a lot. I mean, that, that really changed a lot about how, how we functioned and what we did. How, what, what, how so, Jack? What was the size of the contract? It was well, one they, of the largest those, contracts? Those jobs were real big. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we did the first one in Dixon City in 1996, and that might have been 300 grand. You know, by the time we got to Allentown in, in 2000, and I remember Allentown specifically in 2000 because I was worried about the change of, you know, the change of the, the, the decade uh, because yeah. I didn't know if computers, well, I'm getting off the computer. But in 2000, that job in Allentown was probably $2 million. And, and, you know, we worked from Syracuse, New York, to Ithaca, New York, to Princeton, New Jersey for this company. It had several of these jobs going at all times. And, and you know, it was big. It was big money. But it came in the door, and it went out the door as fast as it could. The bills were never paid. And, and nobody could ever tell me that what I was doing was wrong. And I don't know, somewhere in there, 1998, 1999, I don't know, my brother-in-law, basically, my brother-in-law is an accountant. He told me, uh, he, he said, you're broke. And I didn't, I didn't believe him. And I didn't understand what that meant. And I just kept trying to, uh, I kept trying to force my round peg into a square hole. And while that was going on, I continued to drink more and more and more. And then I got involved with this guy um, from this company uh, that we were working for. He was a vice president of the company. And I got involved with him, and I started spending a lot of social time with him. And that, that's where life got, uh, this was probably 96, that's where life got ugly. Can I stop you for one sec? I, I just want to ask you, if could you give us a few examples of where the money went? I mean, uh, you had this, since college, you wanted more and more and more. So well, if we what did you do with the money? If we needed one truck, I bought three. Okay. If at one point we had, I had three Suburbans because I, I got confused, I guess. I, I don't know how, but I ended up with three Suburbans at once. I, I, it, I paid people much more than the market called for. I, I just, anything you can imagine, I spent money on. It, and I just, so. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. And uh, Jack, we're going to continue with your story in a moment. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Sharing Recovery. Straight talk on today's struggles of addiction and triumphs of recovery. Recovery is possible. We welcome your calls with questions or comments. Call 570-883-0098 or 1-800-437-0098. Here are your hosts, Suzanne Kelly and Jack Kropp. 
and welcome back to Sharing Recovery. Our guest today is co-host Jack Kropp. Jack is sharing his story of um, addiction, and uh, we'll be talking more about his recovery process. If you have any questions for Jack, you can call us at 570-883-0098, and we're also on Facebook Live, so you are welcome to uh, hop on over and uh, post any questions or comments. Um, Ask us anything. That's what this is about. So, Jack, uh, your business is successful in terms of landing contracts, but not necessarily as far as the operations. Right. I, I was able to bring work in. I don't, yeah. I don't think I ever made any profit. You know, I filed bankruptcy two or three different times. I mean, I, I put my family through hell. I, I, I mean, I truly did. They, You know, it's funny how people talk about the outside looked okay. Yeah, we had a big house, and it was beautiful, and... You know, my father-in-law basically made that made that possible. I, I didn't do that. And my father-in-law told me, uh, whatever you do, don't ever take a mortgage on this house. And I took mortgages on the house three different times. You know, I, I just, I'm a liar and a cheat. I mean, and a, a thief. And that's, that's the way I lived. So, you know, it looked like something was going on and like that things might be okay, but underneath they weren't. And, and you know... In hindsight, uh, Sylvia, my wife, then, and, and her brother, Philip, they, they both knew that uh, this was all smoke and mirrors. And that I guess they both knew eventually the storm would hit. And one day, it was September 14th or 15th, 1998, I had been out until 3 o'clock in the morning, and now it's 6 a.m., and... I had been with this guy, Joe Walto, from Wegman's grocery store chain. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. But that's who I was with. And, um, I, Sylvia, I got up and, and, and staggered into the bathroom to try and get ready because I have to be at the office at 6 o'clock. I mean, Sylvia said to me, uh, it, this is it. It, it. It's time. It's either you get help or you get out. Now, about a year before that, it She's about in September of 97. She said the same thing to me. She said, you need help uh, and you're either going to get help or I'm gone. And I said, okay, let, let's get some help. And she called a, a friend of hers whose husband had been in long-term recovery and he had somebody from Marworth call me. And I, you know, I, again, I'm, I'm a jerk. And the guy from Marworth calls me and I say, well, as long as you have a, a room with a single, a single room, I'm not sleeping in the same room with somebody else. And, you know, I went back and forth with this guy and I said, okay, I'll call you in, in about a week. And that never happened, obviously. Did you continue to drink? Oh, my God, yes. Uh, I had no intention of ever stopping in my life. I, I mean, I, I didn't think there was any reason to ever stop drinking. So, we, you know, we go another, uh, I don't know what year. I think Carly was born in 1990. And I don't mean to backtrack, but in 1990, I was real sick. 91, I was real sick. I, I left, uh, I was in and out of the hospital for six months, from October until February. I was in and out of the hospital. And when I left the University of Pennsylvania in uh, February of 1991, the doctor said to me, Jack, you, you can't drink ever again. Now, I wasn't sick because of addiction. I was sick because of something else. But this doctor realized that, that there was probably an addiction issue. His name was Mark Kelly, nicest guy in the world. He saved my life. I left that hospital uh, that that February and said, okay, I'm not going to drink anymore. And I made it to St. Patrick's Day. 
and I stopped at a bar in Luzerne, uh, and I said, you know, and I was there, and everybody's having a great time, and I said, well, I can have, uh, I can have one more beer. You know, I'm just going to have one beer today because it's St. Patrick's Day. And that was March of 91, and that led to uh, a binge that lasted from March from 91 till September of 98. So uh, seven and a half year binge after one beer. I mean, of literally drinking every single day of the week. So in September of 98, Sylvia says to me, uh, you get help or you get out. I said, okay, I'll get help. Uh, I think that was, a th I'm fairly certain that was a Thursday. And I went to, uh, I went to a local restaurant for lunch, which I, I, I went to all the time. And I had a draft beer at lunchtime to try and just take some of the pressure out of my head. I went back to my office and, and it, you know, there were still phone books in 1998. Mm -hmm. You didn't look things up on, on the Google. You had to use the yellow pages. And I, I looked through the phone book, and I found an AA hotline. And I called that number, and I said, well, is there a meeting anywhere near here? My office was in Exeter, and I said, is there a meeting anywhere near here? They said 12 o'clock on Friday in the West Pittston Borough Building. I said, Okay. So the next day, Friday at noon, I, I walk into the West Pittston Borough Building and I walk into this room and I looked around and there were several people in that room that I knew. And I knew their histories, I knew their stories, I knew all about them. And I said, what in God's name am I doing here? I don't belong here. Why do you think that? Why did you say that? I mean, did you well, think because those individuals were, were yeah, alcoholics? I I thought there were drug dealers there. Okay. There was a, a gal there that, you know, had, a, had a, a very colorful past that, I mean, I knew what she was all about. I mean, there was a, there was an old guy there that, uh, God rest his soul, he actually helped me a lot, but he had spent some serious time in prison. And I was a big shot. I owned the business. I had a Rolex watch. I drove in a Suburban. I, I'm not one of these people. But I said I would do this, so I sat down. And as this meeting started, uh, uh, I and when this meeting started, there was an old guy there chairing this meeting, and he looked around the room and he said, "Is there anybody new here or, or here at this meeting for the first time?" And he looked right at me, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. I basically like froze, like a deer in the headlights. And I said, "My name is Jack, and I'm an alcoholic." Because I thought if I didn't say that, they were going to tell me I had to leave. I had no concept at all of what these meetings were all about. So he said, I said that, and I actually felt a physical relief. And, I, and to this day, I feel it very clearly. When I, I can remember it, I felt this relief. All right, so I sat through this meeting, and just about, you know, the meeting was 10 minutes. Uh, I had already been going on for 10 minutes now. I don't know how long does it last. Does it last an hour? Does it last two days? I don't know how long I'm going to be here. But the door opened, and a guy came in who I had known for a long, long time. And he, as it turns out, this guy came late to every meeting he ever went to, and I loved him with my whole heart. And after that meeting, he came over to me and he said, I'm glad you're here. He said, now, are you willing to work with me? And I had no idea what he was talking about because the guy worked for the county. What did he, and I said, what are you talking about, Sam? And he said, just don't drink today and come back tomorrow. And uh, that was Sammy Ag, and he, he's passed away now from cancer, but... He took me by the hand, and he said, tomorrow we're going to this church in West Pittston at 10 o'clock, or in Pittston, rather, at 10 o'clock, and 
then we're going here on but and, and, and Sam led me into the, the world of recovery. And that was wonderful. It really was. And that was 1998. And I wish I could tell you that life was Cadillacs and caviar after that. But our lives, my life, our family's life got worse after I stopped drinking. Because I did not embrace recovery. I simply stopped drinking. I didn't change anything about the way I lived or, or had no intention of changing. I mean, I thought I could still go hang around bars and not drink. And that's not the way it worked out. I mean, it just, uh, life started, you know, life was just now the same life, no alcohol. So basically you had the same behaviors. You were just not drunk. Right. So now around that time, uh, you know, we filed bankruptcy again. My brother-in-law was right. You know, we were broke. And now I've got to start over. So I took the original landscaping company and I rolled it over and started a new landscaping company. And uh, the guy I had done business with, this Joe guy, I, I mean, I called him and I said, uh, look, I, I, I got to start over. He said, I don't know if we can because of this, this, and this. And then I reminded him of a couple of things. And then he figured out a way we could start over. So I went right back to work for that company. And I went right back to doing some things that I shouldn't have been doing. And uh, those things caught up with me, you know, and... Uh, so now I'm not drinking. I, I, I have a quasi-sponsor in AA because, oh, I keep saying that, in recovery. And, uh, but I'm not doing anything. I'm not, I'm not doing anything the sponsor suggests. I'm not trying to change my life. Recovery is about changing. It's not, you know, stopping the, the drugs or the alcohol. That's the simple part. But now what do I do? Now how do I, how do I change my life? Well, I didn't want to change my life. I wanted to keep living this life of me thinking I was a gangster. I was a tough guy, a big shot. That had to stop. It had to change. You know, people say in meetings all the time, this, this stuff has to stop. Well, it didn't in my life. And um, I continued to behave. I behaved as though I was drunk, even though I wasn't. Well, can you give us a few examples of what kind of excess? When you talk about you're living this life of excess, we know about the Suburbans. What else? What else did you do? It, it was anything. It was anything you could imagine. If, if we needed one banana, we got 20. If you needed it, it I, I don't know. if it, Who in their right mind goes out and drinks till 3 o'clock in the morning every day and buys drinks for everybody in the bar? You know, one time my wife and I and another couple went to a restaurant, uh, Settler's Inn. And we walked in there, and the bar was packed. But you could hear a pin drop. It was so quiet in there. And that bothered me. So I decided I would buy everybody in the bar a drink. Well, who does that? I mean, why did I need to spend $300 to buy everybody in the bar a drink so everybody could turn around and tell me what a wonderful guy I was? And, and I just, I needed to be the center of attention. And I, and I didn't understand that then. I, I didn't understand that that's a character defect and you've heard me say here in the past weeks that there's only fear and love and everything I did came from fear, fear that I wasn't important enough, fear that I wasn't rich enough, fear that I wasn't the biggest landscaper fear. It's all fear. And, it, and people talk about ego, ego's part of fear. You know, resentments come from fear. Everything, everything comes from fear. The good, you know, the love, love is a lot harder than fear because there's so much over on the fear pile. 
So, yeah, I mean, uh, anything you can imagine, I did. I, I went out to bars. I went to, my kids wanted to go see Maroon 5. So what do I do? I buy four tickets in the front row, Maroon, Maroon 5 at, at Hershey Park, I think it was, you know, for $1,000 a piece. Because don't you know who I am? I, I can just do anything I want because that's who we are. That's who I am. And, and you know, it was just wrong. It was just a wrong way to live. But And I, your, your behavior continued after you stopped drinking. Oh, yes. And uh, life got worse. In fact, life got worse after I stopped drinking because uh, I... I I paid kickbacks to to a guy in in in, in this big company. I, I was I was paying him to get these jobs. I mean, and, and I went to prison for it. So I mean, I'll say it. I mean, I've already done the time, but I was paying him. So these were kickbacks, not the finders fees. No, these were kickbacks. Okay. I mean, they were cash in an envelope, and uh, he used to uh, come to my office every week, and I'd give him an envelope with cash. And then one day he said to me, uh, "Can you meet me halfway?" He was from Syracuse. And uh, I said, sure. So I, I met him off an exit, off 81 in Binghamton. And I was standing on the side of the road with giving him an envelope full of cash. And I said to myself, I feel like I'm in an FBI sting right now. I, I felt that this got to be, I'm on a TV show right now. And that, uh, I don't know, that might have been 1999 or 2000. And in 2001, uh, the state of New York raided my office and... and now, three years after having it, had stopped drinking, life really got bad. I mean, and now this is where, this is where things got, this is where the, the, the SH1T really hit the fan. So now I lose this customer that we had. Now what do I do? Well, I scrambled. And then when you start scrambling, scrambling is a nice word for lie, steal, and cheat. And that's what I did. And, and I... And I continued to cause problems. I continued to hurt people. I continued to, to cheat people out. There's a, a young guy uh, from uh, Pittsburgh. His name's Dave Thorick. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't pay the trucking bill. And he was the nicest guy in the world. And and stuff like that happened. It, it was horrible. Finally, in uh, in two thousand. Uh, 2005, maybe, or two, 2005, the state of New York indicted me. And uh, in 2006, I think it was December 19th, 2006, I came home from a court appearance in Rochester, New York, and told uh, Sylvia and the kids that uh, I was going to prison. And that I don't mean I'm going to prison somewhere in the future. I mean, I'm going to prison now, like. I had a re I had like 48 hours and I had to surrender to the state of New York. Now at this point you have to realize that we've lost everything. We lost the business. We lost our house. We have no money. If it wasn't for the kindness of uh, Sylvia's mother and, and 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 somebody else, we wouldn't have even had a house. And now I say to them, look, I I believe it. I'm going to prison. Somewhere in between all this. Myself and a partner had built a self-storage center, which was actually my intention was it was for the children, that if I could build this storage center, it would be something I could leave to them. I had to sell that to try and pay restitution to try and stay out of all this trouble, which didn't work out anyhow. I, I mean, I still, I, I went to prison. And the, 
Okay, uh, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, Jack, please hold that thought. Uh, thank you so much for your honesty. We're going to be right back. Welcome back to Sharing Recovery. Straight talk on today's struggles of addiction and triumphs of recovery. Recovery is possible. We welcome your calls with questions or comments. Call 570-883-0098 or 1-800-437-0098. Here are your hosts, Suzanne Kelly and Jack Kropp. And welcome back to Sharing Recovery. We're speaking with our co-host today, Jack Kropp, whose story is uh, nothing short of remarkable and phenomenal and uh, very honest and authentic. So thank you, Jack. So Jack, um, what exactly, uh, what was the reason for your indictment? Why did you need to go to prison? Well, they said I embezzled the money from this company. Okay. You know, I don't even want to talk about that because I'm not sure... Yeah, I paid the price. I did the prison time, but I never agreed with that indictment. I mean, I did some things they should have indicted me for, but that, in my mind, that wasn't it. I think they missed the mark. But the lawyer I had in New York State told me, we'll do this, this, and this, and this will all go away. It wasn't true. So I go to prison. And the reason I tell this story is because in 1998, when if I had followed the suggestions offered to me in recovery... I could have avoided all this pain. Uh, that That's the whole point. I'm not telling this story so people think, oh, well, that's too bad or he's a jerk or whatever. I don't care what people think at this point. I'm telling this story because a person new in recovery, if they will follow the simple, a few simple suggestions, their lives will get better immediately. And I heard a young man at a meeting the other day say, he, you know, he has he's only in recovery four or five months. And he, he had to make a decision, and he called somebody and asked for advice. He, he did the right things, and there he was sitting there explaining what he had done. And it was exactly what you need to do in recovery. I ignored all that. I was smarter than the people that were trying to help me. I was bigger then. I wasn't, I, I'm not like you people. I didn't need your help. I just needed not to drink. Did I believe in God? Certainly. Did I believe in a higher power? Probably so. But I didn't need his help either. I could handle this. I truly believed I could handle everything on my own. So now that's how I end up in prison. In 1998, when Nick said to me, do this, this, and this, if I had told him the truth then, here's what I'm doing in business, I might have taken, I don't know that I would have not done what I was doing, but at least I would have had suggestions from others. And that's what recovery is about. Exposing yourself, cleaning house. Dr. Bob's prescription talks about cleaning house. Clean house. Tell people what's going on in your life. Trust that God can get you through whatever it is and help others. I never helped anyone in my life. I helped me. It was all about me from the time I was eight years old until not so long ago. It was all about me. And that's all I cared about. So now I go to prison in in December of 2006. And uh, when I left to go to prison, I had a lot of secrets. And when I say secrets, I owed the IRS a fortune. My, my, God bless my mother-in-law. She would give me the money to pay the tuition at the, the private school my kids went to, and I would steal the tuition money. I wouldn't pay the bill. I'd call the school and tell them, look, I don't have it. I'll make a payment deal with you. I mean, that's what a scumbag I was, that, that I would go to any length to get what I wanted 
to keep fueling my my world. And I did that after having not had a drink for, this is eight years now, without a drink. But I never, ever surrendered. I never admitted I was powerless. I never asked for help. So I go to prison. My poor wife finds out uh, I, I owe the IRS. I owe every supplier we had. I stole the money from the, from Wyoming Seminary. I mean, I just, my poor wife had enough. And I don't know if it was the seminary, my stealing that money, or it was the IRS, but one of them, uh, one of those two things, or maybe a combination was the final straw for her. And uh, I'm sitting in a, in a prison in Franklin, New York, which is five miles from the Canadian border. It's, it's cold as hell and four feet of snow on the ground. It's February. And I get a letter from a lawyer here in Luzerne County. I thought, well, isn't that nice? He's writing to me because I had known him for some time. And when I opened the letter, as it turns out, I was divorced. So I read this letter and I called home and, and, and my wife answered the phone and she was crying. She said, I just can't do it anymore. She said, this is, enough is enough. I, I can't do it. I said, okay. So I, I hung up from that phone call and I sat there and I thought about it and, uh, I said, well, now I have no business. I have no home to go to. I have zero money. I have no car, nothing. I have nothing. I mean, literally, I have nothing. And I thought the best thing I could do at that point was kill myself. And uh, I went back to the, the, in this prison, there weren't cells. They were like rooms with metal rooms with metal doors. And I went back to that room and I had a plan. I, I you know, I, I was going to wrap plastic bags around my head and suffocate myself and, because that, I didn't, that's where I was at. And uh, I tried that and it didn't work, believe it or not. Well, obviously I'm here, so. Uh, but when I, when I ripped the plastic bags off my head, I, I said, uh, now what, God? And I believe that's when my life changed, right at that moment that I started to listen a little bit and I started to trust. I, started, I turned to a higher power for the first time and said, I need help. And, and I got to pick up the pace here, but uh, when uh, when I came home from prison in in March of uh, 2007, maybe it was April of 2007, uh, there were three families here in Wyoming Valley. Uh, the Latona family they gave me a job, the Markhams gave me a truck to drive, and a guy named John Yarish from Varsity Siding he he lent me money. Uh, to get me back up on my feet, because literally I had nothing at that point. Uh, and then one day I met I met with the sponsor I had uh, from in, in this recovery program, and, and he handed me $20, and he said, you should go drink. And I said, what do you mean by that? He said, you aren't willing to do what we do, and your life is going to get worse, and your family's lives are going to get worse if you don't start doing what we do. And I got mad at him. And I said, okay, I, I, you're not my sponsor anymore. And I went and got another guy to be my sponsor. And he said, okay, but you're going to have to start doing what we do. Mm -hmm. So sometime in 2008, I started to work harder at a program of recovery. And uh, life started to get better a little bit at a time. It, things started to turn around. Life, life got more comfortable. And in 2008, uh, 11, I think it was, maybe, I, I was offered the opportunity to work with 
as an associate or a contractor for a local, for Clearbrook. And that's when life really started to change for me. Uh, because somehow, I've heard people call Clearbrook the magic mountain. And, you know, somehow there was a something there. There was some magic up there that, that started to, I started to absorb. And I started to realize that life is not about me. And for the first time, I actually read Dr. Bob's prescription, which is clean house, trust God, and help others. And I probably had read it a thousand times before that because I, I like to read. I've read the big book 10 times, 20 times, 100 times. I don't know, from front to back. But this was the first time I read this prescription and I, I, I started to understand it. And little by little, I, I started to do more and more trying to help people in, in all ways, if, whether trying to be in recovery or not. I mean, I, I can help somebody maybe just by holding a door for them or, or saying hello to them. Maybe somebody's just having a bad day and you can smile. And maybe that's enough to help them. But this is what I started to develop. It started to, I started to develop my program of recovery after, you know, 10 years of not having had a drink, I finally started to come into recovery, to join recovery and, and work on myself. And the, the whole point of this whole thing is I could have avoided all of this. I could have avoided all the trouble. I could have avoided all the nightmares by simply surrendering in 1998. That's easy to say. It's easy to say looking backwards. It's easy to say was sitting here. It wasn't easy then. And I, I shared last night, or maybe Friday night, but I believe I had to travel this road. I believe everyone's road of recovery is different. I've never relapsed. I walked into that first meeting and never had another drink. But I probably had one of the rockiest recovery periods of 10 years that anybody I know. There are other people that can that relapse 10 times before they get the message. Everybody's road of recovery is theirs, and it's different. And there's no right road. There's no wrong road. This is recovery. Jack, how are things with your family today? Well, you know what? It's a, it's a pretty good situation. I mean, uh, we have a very good family unit today. We get along very well together. And, and, and life is okay. And you know what? Life okay is as good as it gets in my mind. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be real fancy. It doesn't have to be not fancy. It just has to be in the middle. I had no idea that being in the middle was, was the good spot to be in. Mm -hmm. But everything, everything is good today. So. Okay. Um, we have to take one quick break, and then we're going to hurry up um, and get back to you because you've got something exciting that you want to share with our listeners. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Sharing Recovery, straight talk on today's struggles of addiction and triumphs of recovery. Recovery is possible. We welcome your calls with questions or comments. Call 570-883-0098 or 1-800-437-0098. Here are your hosts, Suzanne Kelly and Jack Kropp. 
And welcome back to Sharing Recovery. Um, our, our guest today is co-host uh, Jack Kropp, who's been sharing a, an incredible story of his life and his recovery. Uh, there's one thing that I do want to fast forward, though, Jack, um, and to let all of our listeners know that this show, Sharing Recovery, which is about hope and healing and about helping, about stressing that people are much more than their disease, um, and we're trying to very hard to, to erase that stigma associate, associated with addiction this was jack's idea um this was this is jack's baby i mean he came up with this idea and this plan he finds the guests i mean he really is the driving force and the inspiration behind sharing recovery and i think it's very important that that our listeners and everybody watching on facebook live knows that so jack thank you well i have to be honest about this 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 sherry recovery radio show is my idea here in wyoming valley but in Philadelphia, there's a guy named Gary who runs a radio show called Clean and Sober Radio. This is his idea, as far as I'm concerned. Okay. <laughs> he asked me to be a guest on his show, and for one reason or another, it didn't work out. And out of a resentment of him bumping me, I hope you're listening, Gary, that uh, I said, if he can do it, I can do it. Absolutely. And I said, we don't have this here. And then, you know, I talked about with my daughter Carly and said, you know, that in other cities, there are shows like this. And I said, we can try this here. So we decided to try this, and with the support of Clearbrook and Archstone and, and, and Dave Akins and Jason Mattioli and, and Dino Capoletti, we, we were able to start this show. And I hope somebody, I hope if we just touch one person, if one person can hear this message and somehow they, they get something from it, then it's worth it. So that's, uh, that's where we're at today. So it wasn't my idea. There's nothing original in my head. <laughs> It, everything comes from somebody else in, in the world of recovery. This is true, but Jack, you took an idea and you built upon it, and you had this idea implemented here in northeastern Pennsylvania. So you're right. No one else was doing this in northeastern Pennsylvania, okay? So you did bring this baby right here to our region. So take a compliment. You okay. earned it. You own it. Well, then, <laughs> then I'll tell you this. There's a group in Philadelphia called AIM, which is Angels in Motion, and... And I've been talking to the people that run that group, and that group takes recovery to the street. They are working in some of the worst sections of Philadelphia and Kensington and some tough areas, and they started there. And now they're opening other chapters in other cities. They have one open in Atlantic City. They're going to go into Bucks County. They go, go into Montgomery County. I've been talking to those people, and I said, wow, we don't have one of those here either. And it, it's, it's a community center. It's a place for people to walk in and say, I just need to sit down and talk to somebody for five minutes. And it's a peer-to-peer -peer program. It's not anything with counselors. There's no license. There's no, it's not clinical. It's just people in recovery reaching out their hand to other people in recovery or people that might want to get in recovery or a family member, or maybe it's a kid. I mean, you know, I've got some ideas in my head, like maybe we have yoga for kids. Their parents are in recovery or their parents are struggling. Send your kids over and let them have a yoga class. All free to the community. I mean, this isn't something that's for profit. This is simply a resource that is offered to the community. You know, uh, AIM, Angels in Motion, they prepare these bags that, that they give away to people that have toiletries in them and, and hygiene products and a candy bar and, a, and maybe a can of soda. We don't have that here in the Northeast. And uh, in 2018, 
Sherry Recovery would like to explore that possibility, that uh, maybe we could do something like that and take the message of recovery right to the street and help people in that manner. It just expand what we do because I have learned the most valuable lesson in recovery in the last five or six years, and it took me all that time, and I don't care. That's how long it took. This isn't about me. Life is about helping others, and I've got to help as many people as I possibly can. Somebody else will take care of me. God's got my back today. But that's where we're at. we got to try and help others. This was phenomenal. Um, Jack, we're out of time, and uh, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you to everyone listening, and, and thank you to our sponsors. 2017 is uh, just a few minutes uh, left in this year. Thank you for, for following us. We'll be back next week, the first show of 2018. God bless you all. And um, if you need any help, if you need someone to talk to, we're here and Jack's here. Thanks. Have a great, safe new year, everyone.